we've been dwelling on the treasure which God promises to put within every person who is working at following Christ. And that, remarkably, is the treasure of God's own presence. The Holy Spirit is promised to dwell within those who are working at trusting and knowing Christ. And that counts for young children and for folks who are just starting out. Wherever you are, the promise is that God uh, puts a treasure in each person who is growing in trust. Last week, we looked very specifically about uh, at, at the part which God means us to play in his plan with the power he gives. And that was to talk about witness, the ability to show God wherever we find ourselves. This morning, we're going to take a second step in that same theme by further developing the part that God gives us to play by narrowing our attention to spiritual gifts. That is the specific abilities and aptitudes and skills with which every person, everyone who's trusting God is endowed by the Spirit for their particular part in God's work. Everyone. I want you to try this for a moment. Envision a Holy Spirit-filled person. I wonder what you see when you hear those terms. This is a person who is just filled with the Holy Spirit. What comes into your mind? I want you to look at this photograph. This is a person filled with the Holy Spirit. His name is Norman Borlaug. He was an American biologist and a humanitarian who as a child, as a very young child, loved two things, science and people. He was a Christ follower, and because of that, he believed that God had created the world, so science for him was an act of worship by studying God's creation, and he believed that God made everyone, and therefore, his heart went out to all people. As a child, growing up, he learned that there were many people on the planet who didn't have enough to eat. When he didn't finish his supper and his parents said to him, finish your meal. There are people who are starving in. You, you remember this as a kid, anybody? And that didn't make him want to eat his meal as much as it made him want to solve the problem of starvation. So he went and he studied plant pathology. And then in 1942, he received his PhD and went off to Mexico where he began to do research in the field. For years, he worked with locals developing a strand of wheat that was both disease-resistant and would go to harvest twice a season. And in the 60s, the results for Mexico were that the output of wheat literally doubled. And at this time, and some of you might remember this, at this time there was a population problem on planet Earth. And the solution which most of the scientific community was advancing, what was going to solve that problem, was mass starvation. Once we let millions and millions of the poor in the world die, that will restore the planet to balance. And that was the common scientific wisdom. Except for Norman Borlaug, that didn't sit well because of his faith in God. He believed, and this was his faith, that God's vision for planet Earth was peace and that people can't experience peace on empty stomachs. And he also believed that God's heart just as his heart went out to the poor and it wasn't okay to let millions of people die. And so he exported this technology to Pakistan and then India between the uh, middle and, and the end of the 60s. And in those uh, five years, wheat output doubled there as well so that by the 1970s, the impact on the global food supply was so significant that Norman Borlaug was credited with saving the lives of one 
billion people. There were 1,000 millions of people who would have starved to death if not for what he did. They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize and start to finish, and you can read this in his lecture that he gave before the academy, he credits God with the outcome. He begins by speaking of Joseph. If you know the story of Egypt and the, the, the starvation that was averted there, he refers his own success to that of Joseph, and he ends with the biblical vision in Isaiah that one day the dry ground will be quenched with water and shall become a pool and that no more uh, children will have to die because of starvation. And I will tell you that the success of this man is attributed to the tools which God gave him, which are in effect his spiritual gifts. Now, I suspect most of us will not have learned to think about outcomes like this as attributable to the Spirit. And that's because in general, and, and I can include myself as a pastor in this, the church tends to present a very narrow and therefore inaccurate vision of what actually counts for a gift from the Holy Spirit within a person. And, and this morning, what I want to show you is that everyone who begins following Christ will have some gift of the Spirit. And that, in order to play a part in God's wonderful plan of seeing his vision come about, whether it is as grand as saving a billion people or just reaching out in a way that you impact one individual person. Uh, the Apostle Paul is going to be our teacher in particular. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he addresses himself to a community of people who need to learn about spiritual gifts just as we need to learn. And so he's going to be our guide this morning. Look at how he opens chapter 12. Verse 1 reads like this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, Paul addresses himself to the folks in Corinth in this way because there are several big problems that had developed among the people which revealed a lack of understanding about the spiritual gifts. And so his solution was to offer them information about the way that the Spirit enables people to take part in God's plans by focusing on three different areas, and they're going to guide our reflection this morning. First, he addresses the variety which God gives, which God gives in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, that is, what kinds of gifts does the Holy Spirit manifest in folks? Secondly, he addresses the issue of the source of these gifts. Uh, that is, with precision, he points them to where these gifts come from. And he does this uniquely to address a second problem that he sees there. And then finally, he uh, offers very clear guidance on the purpose, broadly and then also narrowly, of every gift of God's Spirit. All three were important in Corinth because of the drama that was unfolding in that church. How many of you have experiences in churches where there's drama? And I'm not talking about like upfront people acting. I mean the kind that's messy and ugly. Have you experienced that? Yes, it was, it was like that from the very beginning. And in Corinth, the drama was precipitated by one gift of the Spirit in particular that caused problems in the church. And that was the gift of speaking in tongues, a spirit-inspired speech. Maybe some of you, when I said, what does a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit look like? You envisioned someone who was speaking in a language that was unintelligible in a very emotional way. Have some of you experienced that? 
Okay, in Corinth, what was happening is there was one small group of people who had this gift. And because they were able to speak this spirit-inspired language, which, by the way, was different than what was happening in Jerusalem with the first disciples at Pentecost. I talked about that two weeks ago. There, folks were speaking in a spirit language that was immediately intelligible to people who couldn't otherwise understand it. Here, the speech was unintelligible to everyone except for the group that had the corresponding spiritual gift of interpreting. And because of that, what was taking place in this church is that people were feeling proud of how much better they were than others who didn't have that gift. And then they were wanting to divide up from those people, treating them as if they were disposable since they didn't manifest this special gift. And they were promoting the idea that in God's community, there's really just one spiritual gift, which is this kind of spirit-inspired language. From Paul's perspective, the folks were wrong, wrong, and wrong. And he wanted to address those misunderstandings because, listen now, this is for us too. Because first of all, there's nothing that looks less like Jesus than arrogance and a sense of self-superiority. And, and what Paul wanted is for that community to be humble in their reception of the gifts. That's number one. Secondly, Paul knew that if people start to divide up because they experience the Spirit differently, that will undermine the effectiveness of this group, which has a great potential for God's good work in the world. Same exact thing is true for us today. You see it? And then thirdly, Paul understood that every time a person comes into a community and is led to believe that since they don't have this spectacular gift of the Spirit, there must be no Holy Spirit gift in them, that in that moment there is a loss of inestimable value. Because everyone has a gift of the Spirit and has something magnificent to do in the world. Now, I want you to understand this about me right now in relationship to every one of you. It is my conviction that if you are opening your heart to Christ and seeking to follow him, that you also have a gift and God has given it to you for a reason. And when you discover that and use it, then your life changes in the way that God wants it to. And we together become the kind of community that God wants us to be. Let's take our time here uh, looking as closely as we can to how Paul teaches about the spiritual gifts first under the heading of variety. Okay, in verse 4 of chapter 12, uh, this is what he writes. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Okay, we need to take our time here. First of all, Paul is informing them about variety. Uh, he wants to make it very plain that the belief which holds that there's only one way the Spirit equips people for their part in God's plan is altogether mistaken. There are three times in this very concise statement where he repeats the phrase, there 
are varieties. The spirit is not only manifest in one way, and any community which fosters that idea is making a mistake. There are, on the other hand, many ways in which the treasure which is in you, if you are a person of faith and have received God's grace, is equipping you personally for work in the world. Not only spiritual speech, but many other ways too. Notice how Paul reinforces the point by using different words at the end of each one of those phrases to capture the diversity of the way that the Spirit endows people for work. Do you see it? Gifts, services, and activities. Uh, this is a linguistic argument against overly narrowing the ways that Christians think about how the Spirit works. And he does it linguistically by using three different words. Okay, first, the word gift in Greek is a word that you will have heard transliterated into English. It is charismaton. When someone says that's a charismatic person, the Greek word behind that is the word which is translated as gift here. The word charis also comes through in English in our word grace. So every time in the New Testament that you read of God's grace, you're reading of God's charis. And here the point is that the Spirit allots, listen to this, I love this, allots concrete manifestations of God's grace in different people's lives. That is, God's grace is not just an idea or something that happens after you die that you don't deserve, but rather it is a real thing like a, a, an actual measurable, experienceable phenomenon in a person's Life, it is grace becoming concrete in a way that makes a difference which can be observed. And just as God's grace is inexhaustible, by the way, do you know that? This is an aside, but it's one worth dwelling on. You can never exhaust God's grace. Did you know that? God's grace never ends. Do you understand that? Does somebody want to shout amen, but the social pressure here is just too much? <laughs> right. And in the same exact way, understand this, please listen. In the same exact way, the manifestations of the Spirit, the way that God's grace, His Spirit becomes concrete in people, is inexhaustible. It's just that diverse. He makes the point in a second when he goes on to the word service. In Greek, that's the word diakonia. If you've read in the Bible or used the word yourself, deacon, that also is a transliteration of this Greek word. It is rendered as ministry in many places in the Bible. So that very churchy word, ministry or minister, in Greek, just as diakonia, which in secular Greek at this time is the word used for a table waiter, for the person who delivers food and water to people who are hungry and thirsty. And so here, Paul is saying, there are many different ways that the Holy Spirit in a person equips them to deliver nourishment and satisfaction in ordinary ways. You are a, a servant, you are a minister, you are a deacon. All of that means you're someone who's got an allotment of a spiritual gift to use. Okay, the third word there, which is activities, in Greek, that's the word energeo. We talked about this some weeks back. It's the root word of, of our English word, energy. Most literally, he's saying here, there are many different ways it works. That is, the Spirit gives the power required for purposeful endeavors that have a definite intention, and that's how the Spirit is present in his people. If we had to capture variety in a word, it would be a cognate to it, diversity. And that's what Paul wants to insist on in Corinth specifically because there 
people are insisting, no, it's just one way the Spirit works. Either you speak in tongues or you don't have a gift of the Spirit. To that, Paul says, absolutely no. There are many different ways the Spirit is active. He goes on to spell out some of those other ways in verses 8 and following, where he lists nine gifts of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Those are the first two. Have you ever encountered someone who seems to know exactly what to say? or who just has an uncanny sense of what's what in their wisdom. They say it just at the right time, and a part of you wonders, how did they know that? Does that happen to you? That's the Holy Spirit in a person. A faith is the third gift he lists. Has your child ever believed in a way that inspires you and makes you think, I wish I had faith like that to trust? And then there's a cynical grown-up part of you that wants to say they just don't understand nonsense. That's the spirit working in your child. Faith, the ability to believe even when everything else says no. That person whose optimism is so radiant, it's attractive to you, that's the Holy Spirit in a person. That's another gift of the Spirit. By the way, I would say this is one of Norman Borlaug's gifts, a young person who says, yeah, I understand all the scientists think it's going to have to come down to millions of starvation deaths, but I won't believe it. God's too good for that. That's the gift of Holy Spirit faith. Do you see that? Uh, You can read the list and study it on your own. You'll read about gifts of healing and miraculous signs and works. Some of you have had this experience where someone that you love goes to the doctor. The prognosis is altogether negative, but then the outcome mystifies everyone and even the doctors, and they say, I don't know. It's like a miracle. Uh, There are people who have that gift. Uh, The gift of prophecy and discernment, those are also listed. That is the supernatural sense that something's not right here or the ability to look ahead and in an uncanny way know what's coming down the line. Do any of you know folks like that? Spend time around them. They're endowed with the Spirit. My father was like this as a kid. I remember wanting to hang out with Billy and my dad said, not a good kid. (laughs) And, And many other moments aside from that. And what you must grasp, listen now, is that the way that God works is in in a variety of different ways, God endows people with specific aptitudes for their work. And so you should wonder, what is mine? Some of you know already, uh, but if you don't, you should wonder, what's the gift that God is giving me? That's exactly what God wants. The last two in the list here in 1 Corinthians 12 are are the gifts of various kinds of tongues and interpretations because legitimately God inspires speech in people that is supernatural. Paul leaves them at the end of his list here to make a point there, which is if you think you're first because you have these, let me put you at the bottom of the list. That's what he did there. But in many other places outside of this one list, there are other descriptions of the gifts that God gives, not just here. And so you're not supposed to just underline and say those are the only ones. You can go on further into the chapter and hear about apostles and prophets. You can go to the book of Romans in chapter 12 and see there are so many gifts there that you would never think of as Holy Spirit gifts. Here's one, generosity. That's a gift of the Spirit, someone who just gives and gives. Or hospitality, someone who makes a great meal and takes care of you. Leadership, administration, encouragement, 
exhortation. All of these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Diversity, that's the first point. Now, let's go on to the second point because there is a danger in an over-embracing of diversity, which Paul also wants to avoid in Corinth. You may recall, I said it earlier, that because of this one gift, there were some who wanted to divide up from others. And the moment a community starts to acknowledge that, wow, we really are different, there is a danger that based on those differences, they're going to go their separate ways. Do you know that that's how it works? Do you know that or not? We're in this, well, it's not really a church building. We're in this opera house church building and not another one, maybe because we're so different. Do you know that? Well, here Paul wants to address that issue by pointing them to the source. Look carefully again at at what follows the statements about variety. Notice this. The same Spirit, the same Lord, and it is the same God, he says. And he says this in parallel with his insistence on variety. And this is a linguistic intentionality on his part to make a point very forcefully. With each word variety, there comes the corresponding word the same in order to insist that there is in this diversity uh, a much deeper unity. And that inheres in the three nouns which follow his three statements about sameness, spirit, Lord, and God. Here we have three different names which represents diversity, all referring to the one true God, which ensures unity. What we're seeing here is the expression of the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, early on in our learning here about the treasure, I spent some time on this, describing the uniquely Christian way of understanding the reality of God, and that's what we're seeing here. God is a differentiated unity. I love saying that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen now, one and the same God, a unity, but what Paul wants the Corinthians to see is that there is a unity which holds together their diversity of gifts, which reflects the diversity of the giver of those gifts. The source of the gift is one in three. Therefore, those who receive his gifts should expect both to be one with each other while still remaining diverse from one another. And here Paul wanted that to be clear because without the diversity that the Spirit intentionally gives to the community of faith, they won't be able to function as the body which he intended them to be. And that image, by the way, is developed in great detail and beautifully in the rest of the 12th chapter of Corinthians. I, I would encourage you to take time to read it. For us... And now I really do mean to refer to us. And this goes for those of you who will travel back to where you go to churches on most Sundays, as it does for those of us who are committed to Renaissance or just trying it out. Please listen. For us, the truth is God's gifted us differently so that there's no way around our mutual dependence. We need each other. And that's by God's design. And every impulse in us which says, you're not like me, you're different, and then makes us want to divide and go away, should be resisted. So that instead, we stay together receiving the gifts which have their source in the one true God. And Paul makes that very plain with the last phrase, notice again, who activates all of them 
in everyone. And Paul made that emphatic declaration that the energy or the power that is in every one of us is from the one God who's responsible for that energy, listen now, both to press us together. Okay, if we have things that hurt us, we've got to get over them and work together. If we've got differences that divide us, we have to open our hearts and our minds to one another and trust that God's benevolence and love toward all of us is more important than the things that divide us. When we do that, then accepting that God is the source will give us the characteristic that we need and that the world needs to see in us, and it's the character of humility. Think of this. Remember, there was an arrogance and, and a self-assurance in those people who had that one gift in Corinth that made them think they were better than other people. Is there anything that makes you look less like Jesus than that? But the world needs to see Jesus in us. And Jesus is the king in humility, right? He's God choosing to reign uh, as a crucified criminal on a cross wearing a crown, not of gold and jewels, to assert his uh, his superiority, but rather a crown of thorns to demonstrate how low he's willing to sink to be a part of God's plan. And that character should be the same as our character as we embrace and use the gifts that have their source in the one God. Now, what are the gifts all for? Purpose. Uh, Paul addresses that in a concise and a very beautiful way in verse 7 when he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that's what Paul wanted them to realize there, that God values each and every one of us as individuals coming to understand and embrace our gifts and use them. But what God expects and requires for us to be what he wants us to be is that we have to depend on one another. And the exercise of any one individual's gifts should be good for the community altogether so that as a united instrument of his power and his grace in the world, it can do the good work that God created it to do. Now, if there's one single word which has to characterize the use of every spiritual gift so that it follows God's purposes, this is the word. Love. And I tell you this because it is uncanny that when you study spiritual gifts in the Bible, if you keep reading each time you see the author addressing the gifts of the Spirit, you will always and every time come across the word love as the quality without which the exercise of those spiritual gifts is meaningless and nothing at all. Uh, maybe you've been to a, a wedding ceremony where two uh, are married and they love one another and then someone reads this, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right after describing the variety and the, the, the source and the purpose of spiritual gifts, Paul says, if you can speak in the tongues of angels or the tongues of men, if you have spirit-inspired speech but you don't have love, you are a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. Without love, it's nothing. That's the beginning of chapter 13. He then says, you can have enough faith to move a mountain. If you don't have love, it's, it's meaningless. You, you can save a billion people from starvation. But if there's no love in there, it's worthless. And, and here, this is what I want you to understand. Uh, for you and for me and for us all together, the way that we'll move forward faithfully in discovering and then accepting and using the gifts of the Spirit which God has given to us 
is when we prioritize the common good and keep our eyes open for opportunities to love. Because God has so designed it that that's how it works. I mentioned offhand that one of the gifts of the Spirit is hospitality. Uh, Maybe you won't save uh, a billion people, but maybe you'll be a person who plays a part in saving the life of one person. And now this is personal for me. At the lowest point in my life, and this was back in in, uh, the early part of 2000, I was alone and I was traveling to New York City every Sunday to go to church. And I was desperate and in unimaginable pain because of the end of a marriage, which meant the separation uh, between me and my little children. And my son was 19 days old, and, and, and he was gone. And now only someone who's been through the separation from their children can imagine how much that hurts. And so I was in church in the village on a Sunday morning, and the preacher started talking about God's love and grace and plan. And all three of those sounded to me like a knife in the heart. I wonder if any of you ever been in, have ever been in here and heard me talk about God positively, and it hurts because of how dark it is for you. Now, prior to that point in my life, I never cried in public. And if you've been at this church, you're surprised, because I do every single week. <laughs> but I was sitting on the pew, and that's what the, this was one of those old-fashioned churches, beside my friend Vito, who you've met, some of you, and his wife, Monique. And I started to sob. And then not only were there tears coming out, but there was an enormous amount of mucus coming down. (laughs) And I could see, it got so bad that I could see my own reflection in the puddle on the linoleum floor of the church. And in some way, it was good for me to sob like that. But it was awful. It was so awful. It was as low as I'd been. And in that moment, Monique, who was always sharply dressed, she grabbed a hold of her silk scarf. She unwound it. She reached across her husband, and she put the scarf on my face and used it to wipe my nose. And then after church, we went back to their apartment, and she bought saprasada. I think providing... Well-cured Italian meats is a spiritual gift. (laughs) And we sat together, and her hospitality saved me. And that was a spiritual gift. And so whether you're more like Norman Borlaug or Monique Ayuto, uh, that's not the real thing. This is the real thing. Will you be you? That's the question. And you are one of the people who God deliberated about when he made you, thinking, which is the gift that I'm going to give her? What's the one that he's going to have? And by the way, listen, not once and for all, and that's it, but in every new season of life, God is the giver of gifts who thinks just about what you've been through and thinks, what's the gift now that I can give to her or to him after this loss? Or this season in life, How will I endow her so she sees there's still a part of the plan that I've got for her to take up 
And that's how it is with God. It's remarkable. If you keep reading in 1 Corinthians 12, you get down to verse 11, and there Paul actually says, the Spirit gave to each one as he chooses, as if God was deliberating in heaven about you and made a specific choice about each one of you. And that is the truth which you are invited to leave here today with in your heart. And I implore you to take it. Uh, that, that no matter how young or old you are or how experienced or inexperienced you are in faith, that I would implore you to adopt the self-understanding that says, first of all, about you, I am the child of God who's been endowed with some spiritual gift. And then be daring. Try to find it and start using it. Talk to the people around you who you trust and ask them, does it seem that I'm onto something here or not? And then ask God to help you discover it. Because the giver of the gift wants you to find it for the purposes that he had in mind when he gave it. And when he does, you come to life and we thrive. It's for the common good and for the love that the world is desperate to receive from the people of God. And let's pray together. God, we love you and thank you for this time to be with one another in this place. I thank you for the way that you've enriched my life personally through the gifts of your Holy Spirit, which you've given to other people who have warned me, who have encouraged me, who've cared for me, who've taught me, who've corrected me, who've given me wisdom and knowledge which I didn't have. I thank you for the ways that you've given me gifts of the Spirit so that I can use them to help others. And I thank you for the truth that in every one of us there is some treasure, some work, some service that awaits our discovery of your gift and employment of it for your purposes. God, would you please help all of us think about ourselves as people who are gifted by you for your purposes. And then would you please continue to build up Renaissance Church so that it becomes an instrument of your love in the world which is waiting for it. And then lastly, God, I pray that you would use us to help awaken others to the truth that you are the God of all and that you love us and that you have something for us I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.